Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a deck. Lights up. 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 A podcast by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. Lights up. Jess is seated reading. Taylor stares at the wall. After a moment, Taylor turns around, surprised. Hey, where is everybody? Oh, um, never mind. Taylor sits as far from Jess as possible. Uh. Jess resumes reading. Do you know if... I'm, I'm sorry? It's uh, no big deal. <laughs> gotcha. Jess resumes reading. You ever get the feeling like we're being watched? Right now? No, in general. I don't, actually. No, I don't. Oh. You don't? No. I'm not really that important, I suppose. If anyone watches me, they'll probably fall asleep or something. Don't say that. Why? What do you mean? We're all important. Well, yeah, but... We're all important. At least that's what my doctor told me. I see. Was this a medical doctor or? A a doctor of philosophy. Ah, okay. And do you see this person clinically or? I ran a thousand miles this afternoon. I see. Well, that's quite an accomplishment for a single afternoon. I just came to see the whale. Of course. You ever watch the sun come down? Um, you mean like a sunset? Yeah, of course. I think. I made that happen with my mind. The sunset? I can spell out the alphabet with numbers. Oh? One isn't a letter. Two, 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 three, 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 four, 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 five, five, five. Six, 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 seven, 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 eight, 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 nine, 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 and then zero, but that's for the operator. That's not a letter. I'm impressed, but can you call for a pizza? What? A pizza, it's... <laughs> Listen, do you like Reading? Reading? Jess crosses to Taylor. Well, here, I'm reading a book about magic. I thought you might enjoy it. Magic? Taylor takes the book. Well, yeah, like magic tricks. You know, like how to make a person disappear and stuff like that. You can pull a rabbit from a hat? Well, yeah, like, well, no, I can't, but, um, but but I'm sure whoever wrote the book can. Oh my. Are you all right? I, you ever get the feeling like we're being watched? Forever. I've never felt like this before. Do you feel like your arms are burning? I need to sit. Just sits next to Taylor. Do you feel your skull crushing like 
pushing you with the weight of a thousand yellow school buses, you know, ramming into you, slamming into you, and crushing you, mushing you, pushing you into oblivion. Do you feel like you're being shoved into a tiny, meaningless existence? And by the time the buses stop, you know, slamming into you, cramming into it, you just feel ungrateful to be alive. You yell, you punch a hole in your kitchen cabinet, you decide you want to hurt someone. You want to you decide it may as well be me. I don't like this feeling anymore. Jess doubles over in pain and cries out. But then suddenly it subsides. You feel a sense of calm wash over you. Uneasiness and dread, but no remorse. I feel like someone's watching me. It's probably the paintings. No? It's probably the artwork. They're staring into you. No. Watching you. It's not the paintings. It's, uh... Taylor kneels next to Jess. Does it feel malevolent or good? Uh, indifferent? It feels like, uh... Ad Adrian enters. Oh! My. Excuse me. Adrian starts to exit. Wait. Yes. Are you? Who are you? Do you work here? I do. Uh, my friend is having trouble. I see. And would you like me to call security? Oh, no, no. Uh, no, no. We need the opposite. Uncertainty. Uncertainty? Well, the opposite of security is uncertainty and doubt. I already have doubt. Well, that is the opposite of security. Do you need me to call for doubt? No, I... Have you been watching me? I have. But only for a moment, though. Just now, to see if you were well. I don't feel so well. And that's what I surmised by watching you. I'm not feeling well either, but I'm pretty used to it. I'm not. I'm very new to this malaise. We have a first aid kit in my office if... Oh no, my, my wounds are beneath the surface? Points and head. In here. Mine are in my stomach. <laughs> I have IBS. <laughs> it can make vacations difficult. Can you explain the world to me? The world? The world outside. It's beyond my understanding. Well, I've seen a bit of it, I guess. I, um... Oh! Adrian kneels near Jess. Are you in need of some assistance? Water. I need water. I'll go. Taylor runs off. Your friend will get you some water. <laughs> I, I'm just in so much pain. We can call security if you like. Security? No, no. I'm... Am I in trouble? I've never been in trouble in my life. Taylor re-enters. Excuse me, um, where's the water? Oh, <laughs> it's down the way and to the left, just past the Mondrian. Taylor exits. Are you familiar with magic? Like wizardry and 
Witchcraft? No, like pulling rabbits from a hat. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm no magician, if that's what you mean. I'm just a curator. What do you create? No, curate. It's collect, bring in, design, preserve, set up, make presentable for patrons and the public eye. Well, I have a book on magic. Are you familiar with this at all? Oh, yes. I've watched you read it many times. You've watched? Um, we have an exhibit on magic, by the way, up on the second floor. Performers, actually, from vaudeville until today, showmen, comics, ragtime. There's a section on Houdini, if you're interested. I am. Taylor re-enters. I couldn't find the water. It's down that way into the... No, no. I found the fountain, but there's nothing coming out. I found the bathroom, but the sinks are off. I couldn't find the water. The sinks are... You know, Houdini liked the water. He liked to submerge in water with a straitjacket on <laughs> and chains. And he fought through those restraints day after day and show after show. He wriggled himself free. He came close to dying several times, but then he always made it out. I want to die. I know the feeling. So Houdini died all right, <laughs> eventually. He died of a burst appendix. Poison spread throughout his body. They like to blame it on a young fan of his who punched him four times in the abdomen with the great magician wasn't looking, but that was possibly a freak coincidence. <laughs> his appendix may have burst before the punches, but it was definitely the burst appendix that killed him, not necessarily the punches, though I'm sure they didn't help. <laughs> Is the pain in your appendix? No, it's, it's in my brain. Oh. Well, mine's all over, like a freight train bursting through my membranes. Mine's in my intestines. I'm not sure if I've told you this already, but I have IBS. It makes traveling very difficult. I once took a bus from here to Philadelphia. The ladies in the back row did not appreciate me very much. They sat near the bus's bathroom. I'm on several medications now, but there's still an ache that won't subside. An ache? A pain. A pain in your behind? In my nether regions, yes. Well, my friend here needs some water. Do you have some anywhere? In the break room, possibly. I'll go. You'd need a key for the entrance. You stay here with Jess. Adrian exits. Hey there, how you feeling? I have a Xanax in my bag if- No more medications. All right, Jess, relax. We'll have water in a moment. How? Hmm? How do you know my name? I'm sorry? How did you know my name? Oh, well, I guess you must have told me. No. Oh, that's right. The worker said it. Just now. The, uh, 
This very minute, actually. How did the worker know my name? Well, I assumed you must have said it while I was on the quest for water. They, uh, they need to get that fixed. No. You don't think they need to get that fixed? No, I never said my name. Oh. Well, look, here. It's written on your book. My book? Your magic book. Taylor picks up the book. It's written on the edges. Jess. Oh. Here. Why don't you take it back? Take it? Back. The book, it might make you feel whole again. No, I don't feel like reading now. Oh, come on. What if this is... Adrian returns. Here, I've got some water. Jess reaches for it. Okay, careful now, sweetheart. Careful. One little sip at a time. Please. You're very brittle. Adrian holds the cup while Jess sips it. There now. Any better? Jess shakes head no. I think it's the book that does it. The... The magic book. It's... This all started when Jess gave away the magic book. Oh, yes! That's right. The book. I should have known. Come on now, Jess. Let's take your magic book and sit over here instead. Jess shakes head no. Jess? Why am I so empty? Just take your book and I'll explain. No, I I don't even like the book. I've been reading it for ages and I'm no more a magician than a rainbow or a sewing needle. I'm not abracadabra or hocus pocus or even an escape artist like Houdini. I'm just plaster painted in a hollow shell. You're brittle, and your edges are beginning to crack, but my job is to preserve you and to keep you perfectly the same for ages. Are you? Your magic book is now a part of you, a part of what attracts the public to this museum. Are you? Without your book. I'm nothing. You're brittle. You're nearly broken, but your book will make you whole again. Why am I even here? And me, why am I here? Am I even real? What is reality, really? (laughs) We're all real in some form or another, aren't we? (laughs) Why did I never notice people watching me before? If all I've ever been is... You were mesmerized. Your book, your... Imagination. Unlike Houdini, you were free inside your chains, bound up in an endless swirl of dreams of the possibilities of life. So what am I, if not... You, you are the work of a genius, a life-size representation of the human soul. Look at this placard here upon the wall. Ennui. You are the embodiment of human frailty. But Jess, Jess is called illusion. Jess's current fragile state occurs from the shattering of that illusion. Within the finite chamber of Jess's construction, however, Jess is perfect. 
indestructible in her beliefs. You were never perfect though, but that is by design. You are a mirror of our human imperfections. You exist because of doubt, because of what your artist feared. Just exists because of what her artist loves. Sadly, once the veil was removed from Jess's illusions, she became as breakable as you. Now, come Jess, in order to regain your former durability, you must sit at the proper angle with your knees tilted up just so and your head tilted down at 45 degrees and one foot resting upon the other foot and both hands gripping tightly to the covers of your magic book and your lips pursed together in preparation for that mystical explosion of the word magic or miracle or mashed potatoes, possibly, although that makes no sense within the context of your construction. But <laughs> that is for the public to determine. And you, dear one, must read. You absolutely must. For within that narrow construct, you can live forever inspiring others. So I exist solely for other people's enjoyment not my own. Do you not enjoy your book? I did. But now that I know the meaning, I, I, I can't. It's irrelevant now. There's no more magic once the illusion's been spoiled. Even the great ma magician couldn't hide from the fragility of life. I enjoy it. What? The book. I enjoy it. I can read it all day long, this book. You've read this book. I will. I'll read this book from now until the end of eternity if I can be as strong as Jess. But you already know it's an illusion. My whole life has been an illusion, has been a chaos of emotions. I have dreams of hurting people, but you say I'm just a statue, just a figment of someone else's doubts. So why can't I have dreams of magic and enjoyment? Why can't I have purity in my beliefs? I don't know if, um... Do you think you could procure me? Preserve me, protect me in a plaster shroud of wonder for all eternity? Oh, great creator, please, I, I beg thee. Curator. <laughs> I, I don't, um... Do you make me human? I am not an artist or a... Creator, either, even. I'm only a curator, a preservist. Then what is it that makes you human? Frailty. Frailty. Then why am I not human yet? You can try. That's all anyone can do is try. Just nods smiles, and stands a little bit taller. I understand Henri. I understand Taylor now. And how do you know my name? Because it's written on the book. The book now has the name Taylor written on the edges. I have an illusion. I can imagine wonder. I can imagine pain. Taylor takes the book and sits where Jess was at the beginning of the play, 
Jess stands, facing the wall like Taylor was at the beginning of the play. I can imagine getting in a world of trouble <laughs> when the artists see what's happened here. Oh. Reading. Taylor smile, smiles in wonder at the magic book. Oh, but first, I have to use the bathroom. It's that blasted IBS again. <laughs> Adrian runs off. After a long moment, Jess turns around. Hey, where is everybody? Hmm? Oh, um, never mind. Jess sits as far from Taylor as possible. Ah. Taylor resumes reading. Do you know if... I'm sorry? It's no big deal. Ah, gotcha. Lights fade. Hey, everybody. It's Gary, the producer for Lights Up, Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga's new podcast for playwrights, performers, and patrons of theater. I wanted to see if you've heard about Anchor. Anchor, the platform that's hosting our podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, well, I am happy to be the first to tell you about it. It is free. F-R-E-E. That's right, free. Um, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer uh, or your phone. And Anchor will distribute the podcast that you create so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And you know what else? It doesn't cost you anything, but you can make money from your podcast, and you don't even have to have a minimum listenership. That's right. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So do like we did. Download the free Anchor app. Or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, or anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started and create your podcast. Okay, welcome, everyone. You just heard Brittle by Daniel Guyton. And um, we're really excited. We're, we're joined by him right now. Chrissy and I are here. If you are new to the podcast, my name is Dana. I'm joining you from New York City. And um, if you've listened before, you may notice that we have changed up the format a little bit. Yeah, so I'm Christy. Um, I'm a producing partner with the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. Um, so the actors that we just heard, we just heard Elise Mayfield as Adrian, Bronte Upshaw as Jess, and Brett Tubbs as Taylor. So as Dana said, we are joined by Daniel, which is really exciting. So Daniel, um, tell us where you are coming from a little bit about yourself so our listeners can get to know you. Sure, uh, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, um, not too far from Chattanooga. And I uh, actually uh, met Gary about mm, close to 10 years ago, maybe eight or nine years ago now. Uh, he, they did a one of my plays for a, a 10 minute play festival uh, called Father and Son. And uh, we came up to Chattanooga to see it, had a great time, and I've, I've kept in touch with Gary ever since. 
And now they're all virtual. He said he needed some virtual pieces or pieces that would work on, you know, online. And uh, I submitted Brittle as an option, as well as a couple of pieces. And uh, they also, uh, you guys recently did uh, a play of mine called Fat Dick, which is about an overweight detective. It is not a porn, <laughs> <laughs> despite the title. Um, so anyway, it was a lot of fun and you guys did a great job with that. And so uh, I really appreciate the work that you've done in this piece as well. Well, and I, if I'm honest, uh, Fat Dick was one of my favorites of the 10 by 10 by 10 um, festival that we did. I found it hysterical. I just really enjoyed it. Um, I love the editing they did where the, um, his, his inner monologue was up in the center square between them. That was great. Brilliant, brilliant uh, editing on that piece. Did you write that? I know we're, this is an, an aside question because I know that's not what we're here to discuss, but did you write that specifically for 10 by 10 by 10 or had you had that piece kind of going it is an older piece. I actually wrote that uh, probably about six or seven years ago for something else entirely. So, um, but 10 by 10 uh, did a great job with it and I uh, really appreciate it. And Christy and I just had a, a conversation on, on our halfway point on the podcast about this with Gary. Um, so yeah, it's fun to hear that you enjoyed the editing and how we could get theatrical and, sure. and that you have a background with ETC. Um, that's something that we're finding more and more in the pandemic. It's like, bring back the people that we know and love working with and, and, and get to use them. Um, for me, this is a particularly lovely episode as well, because all three of our actors, Brett, Elise, and Bronte, I all know and have worked with before, and they're all friends of mine from various points in my life. So um, yeah, it's great to pull people in that you know and love and, and try and create theater, especially in this time. So we're excited to have you here. So how long have you been writing, Daniel? Give us a little bit of background on, on is that is this a hobby? Is this a passion? What, what's got, what got you started there? All right, so I, I've been writing in general since like second grade. Uh, I've, I've been a writer, you know, for as long as I can remember. Um, I started writing plays in college. So I've been a playwright for a little over 20 years. Um, and I am, I consider myself a, professional playwright, although I also am a teacher to help pay the bills because we all know uh, theater, you know, it's a lot of fun, but it doesn't always pay as well as it could. Uh, so um, I make some money as a playwright. So I consider myself professional, but uh, but yeah, I'm also a, a teacher. I teach college. I teach theater uh, in college um, to help pay the bills, uh, but I am a writer. I'm a published author, uh, and I've got uh, a few books out there. So. That's awesome. In fact, I think behind you, I'm seeing some mock-ups of set oh, designs. Is that, is that what I see on your walls? Uh, yeah, these are different uh, things I've done. Uh, the two paintings I actually did uh, for a class. I took a class on uh, set design. And so those are some sets I did. Uh, this one here is for a play called um, uh, The Mousetrap. Oh, yeah. Agatha Christie. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, Agatha uh, Christie. Yes, indeed. And this one here is uh, Trojan Women, which I did this in 2002 and I set it in Afghanistan. So. Um, How cool is that? Cool oh my gosh. I, I, saw, I saw Trojan Women on the West End. It wow. was incredible, yeah. I can imagine, yeah, it's a beautiful play. Um, <clears throat> you said you started writing plays in college. Was that, were you in a playwriting program? Were you there as an actor? All right, so it's a, a, an interesting you know, avenue that I went down, but uh, when I was young, uh, I had a, a pretty severe speech impediment. So I was very shy. Uh, and so most of my communication was through writing and reading. I really didn't talk 
too well to people. Uh, and so I kind of like shut myself in, did a lot of writing and stuff like that. So that's how I kind of, you know, did my communication. Uh, but as I got older, I didn't want to be shy anymore. So I started taking acting classes. And acting classes are what kind of brought me out of my shell and got me to be more social. And these conversations I'm having now, I'm able to do in large part because of the acting classes I took uh, in high school. And so by the time I got to college, I developed a love for acting. So I really enjoyed acting, but I also was really good at writing. It was uh, you know, a skill I had developed through most of my life. So when I got to college, I was taking acting classes and I was writing short stories and poems. And I thought, why not combine the two and see what happens? And so I, I did take playwriting classes, uh, but I think the first play I wrote was really more for like, just to get some friends together and put a piece on and see what would happen. And we did, we put it on in school and got a good response. And I, I was kind of hooked. I loved hearing people laugh at, at what I wrote and uh, enjoy the, you know, the dialogue and the, the interplay. And I, I really loved working with the actors on it. So uh, it just became something that I really became passionate about. Because um, it's a, obviously a different skill from writing a short story or poem. Playwriting has its own agenda and its own, you know, uh, pitfalls and its own uh, skill set. So uh, I worked on that and I, I think I got better and I won an award uh, pretty much, you know, right out of college. And so I was like, okay, I'm in this. This is it. I'm doing this, you know. Uh, so I went to grad school for playwriting and screenwriting. So Daniel, to jump into Brittle a little bit, one of the first questions I think Dana and I both had, although we we worded it slightly different, um, I was interested in like the inspiration for the piece and she was interested in sort of the influence for it. So was there a message that was kind of heavy on your heart that you wanted to explore with this or were you just truly seeing, you know, let's put these characters in a room and see where it goes? Yeah, uh, actually it's funny. Uh, I was actually asked to write a play for a, uh, a festival and uh, myself and a couple other writers, we were specifically tasked with writing all of our characters had to be age, gender, and ethnicity neutral. So that every single character in the entire festival could be cast by literally anyone. Um, you know, there had to be no gender, you know, uh, criteria, no age criteria, nothing. And so it was a really interesting challenge because so much of our identity is rooted in what you know, what society tells us we are, and, and you know who we think we are, and all that. And so, to try to write a character that doesn't fit in, or you know, or is absent from any of those criteria is a, re is a really interesting challenge. Uh, so that's where this piece started. And for some reason, that concept of neutrality, uh, the first thing I thought of was statues. And so that's where the piece started was these wax statues. Um, and I thought, you know, wax can be molded to be anything you want it to be. Uh, and so that's really where the piece started from. And then as I wrote it, I thought, well, what if these, you know, where can you get drama with these characters if they're not, you know, if they're not based on any societal constraints of who they are, you know, identity wise. And so I thought, well, emotions, you know, every person, regardless of, you know, your upbringing or wherever else you have an emotional core. And so both characters represented uh, something to do with our human emotions. Uh, so that's where they came from. And then, of course, I had, uh, I decided to have a human in there to interact and uh, sort of keep them on track. But, uh, but that's where, the, where it originated from was this idea. And my friend was uh, Daniel Carter Brown. Uh, I'm going to give him a shout out. He's the one who came up with the concept that everyone uh, in the play be completely neutral. 
So it was a fun experiment. I really had a great time with it. It's interesting that you say that that was the challenge. When you, how long ago did you write this play? Uh, this one was, I want to say 2015 or 14. Okay. It's interesting to me uh, because now we're seeing even more a heightened awareness in theater that uh, we need to have way more diversity and inclusivity and have you know, a uh, wider range of ethnically diverse characters, you know, black, brown, Latinx, um, non-binary trans characters. So do you, this was the challenge, you know, five, six years ago, do you see yourself trying to incorporate more of that in your playwriting? I know on one hand you said a lot of what our traditional identity comes from in, in society comes from you know, gender or, or background, uh, and we're trying to break that open a little bit. Do you find yourself trying to lean more towards this openness as you're both writing and now teaching, you know, as uh, well? Oh, especially as a teacher, yes. I'm always, I have, you know, a lot of students of, of all different backgrounds, and I'm always trying to impress upon them the variety of plays out there, you know, uh, just because our history has been dominated, unfortunately, by, you know, white Christian males, uh, you know, if you look back, non-white Christian males are there, you know, many of their voices were stifled over the years, yeah. oppression and whatnot, uh, but I try to impress upon them all these different voices that were there, just, you know, society kept kind of pushing down for whatever reason, um, and so to bring it to myself as a writer, I do try to include characters of different backgrounds to try to give, um, options whenever it's possible i try to have a character that's as neutral as i can to you know anybody could play this part but i also think neutrality isn't necessarily the right answer either i think there's there's some point you know this character has to to represent that group and it's a challenge because i'm, I'm not always you know i'm not necessarily a member of said group but uh, if I'm going to include a character like that i do a lot of research i talk to a lot of folks who are part of that group uh, I recently did a play called American Bhishma, which I was actually hired to write, uh, and it's about a uh, an Indian character who has uh, grown up in America. He's an American immigrant from India, and it, he's trying to learn about his own culture uh, of Hinduism. And so I was asked to write this. I'm like, I don't, I don't really know much about Hinduism. And he's like, No, no, I, you know. And so he and I worked together, and I just I did like hours upon hours of research work with him, work with, um, you know, he was from India, so he didn't know much about America, but he knew about Hinduism, and I knew all about America, but I didn't know, you know, so like the two of us together kind of brought this together, um, and so it's, I think, one of the biggest challenges, if you're writing about uh, someone who, from a group that you don't necessarily belong to, is being as respectful to the group as you can, and doing as much research. If you're, if you're going to do it, and not do the research, and not put the effort into it, I, I don't think, it's it's almost not worth doing at that point. Um, but yeah. if you're gonna do it, you really gotta commit to it and do it, do it for real. So. That's amazing. I mean, and it sounds like it was a really actually not only theatrical but a learning experience oh, for yeah. for both of you, which is the purpose of theater, creating a larger community. Um, I heard a, a quote from some of the BIPOC theater ma um, makers, mm -hmm. and it it was saying in, in terms of inclusivity, they said include me in your story, but don't tell my story. And it sounds like the two of you kind of perfectly hit that balance of 
of telling this story without trying to take ownership of someone else's identity. So that's, that's amazing. I love, that's so beautiful. I love that. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I don't think I would ever feel comfortable doing a story like that if I didn't have someone there who was a part of that group that I could work with and bounce ideas off of and, uh, and, and explore with. Um, he wasn't a writer per se, but he was an actor that wanted to embody this character. And, and so, you know, I, I wrote the language, but it was his story, if that makes sense. So, uh, yeah. yeah, but I think that's very important. And I, I think part of the issue, part of the reason we're having this moment right now where uh, so many groups are, are saying, you know, we don't feel represented is because they've not necessarily been included in these conversations. And I, I think it's wonderful that we are including them now. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry that they haven't been included for as long as they, they haven't been. This concept of brittle, um, where, did, where did that concept come from? Because certainly it's, number one, I love the word. It's a vivid word and it, and it brings such visual, at least for me, like immediately under the skin, I can just, I, I have such a, like a tactile response to this word brittle. Um, was, what was the thought process behind choosing that word and choosing that concept in terms of, you know, even evaluating the brittleness in all of us? As soon as I realized that the characters were gonna be based on human emotions, um, uh, I realized that, you know, this one character, the central character is, is brittle, both physically, because they're a wax figurine that could just melt or break at any point, but also just emotionally brittle. Uh, and then, like you said, I love that word. <clears throat> it's just a word that like stuck out of me. I was like, ooh, that's kind of a fun, I could do a whole lot of, you know, metaphor with that. Um, uh, but, but that's where the, it came from, this concept of uh, someone being capable of breaking at any moment, uh, both emotionally and also physically. Um, and, and I just thought that was a very powerful image. Um, and then the fact that the illusion is what keeps them together uh, is also something I thought was really interesting. Um, and I wonder, you know, to some extent in our lives, if that's not what keeps us going, you know, this, uh, you, you look at this year with this, this, this pandemic and the election and everything else, and it's just so stressful and so emotional. Um, and we, I think we all feel like we could break at any moment. Um, but there's this illusion, you know, like, well, things will be better in a little while, you know, it just kind of keeps us going and, you know, but, and, and I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but it's just, it's something where um, that balance between what we want to see happen and what's happening and, and, you know, can we find that fine line between the two? Yeah. I told Christy that um, I found this play particularly resonating after our everything that I and, and we have been through this year. Mm. Um, like I said, I'm in New York, so I was, and I live by myself. So I was in lockdown for many months with almost no contact. Uh, <laughs> and I felt, I felt very, very brittle. Um, but I will, and the idea of ennui was uh, in a way that I had never felt it before. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the whole play was really, really resonating, but something that I loved that actually felt very hopeful to me. Um, and I, I'd love you to speak on, on this and how you kept it hopeful uh, was that there's something that we are created to do, that we are created with a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jess and Taylor both have these very specific purposes and that's when things start to fall apart when they're not doing that. Um, 
so that made me feel hopeful and that's how I identify with theater like this is what I was meant to do so I will keep doing that and I've, I've got to keep doing that and then also when they're able to kind of switch you know and take places they there's a discovery for them that they've been this one way for for a long time and then they discover that they can make a change and still find something new which for me and so many artists right now we're trying to hold on to that hope of what we were created to do has maybe had to be redirected and and that you know, you could have known what was going to happen five, six years ago, but I just want to say thank you. That's very hopeful. And, and maybe where did that idea spring from back then? I'm, I'm curious to hear how you kind of drove the plot in that direction. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, I have always, for a long time, I shouldn't say always, but uh, actually, no, for, I've always seen myself as a writer and that's what I meant to do. That's what I'm here for. Uh, at some point in high school, college, I got interested in acting and that kind of slightly changed my goals, but I was still writing and still, you know, that still kind of was my trajectory. And so I, I really believe, you know, we're here for the purpose and this is my purpose and this is what I'm doing. Um, but as, you know, I got into my late twenties, I realized, you know, I wasn't making a whole lot of money at it. And I was like, this is how much further can I go with this just as my only goal? Uh, so I started teaching. And uh, I realized I love teaching and I was like, oh, maybe I have more than one thing that I'm really good at and I could do and I could focus on. Uh, and, and so, you know, finding different avenues that we also could do that make, give our lives purpose. Um, it doesn't have to be just what we've been told that we're going to do for the rest of our lives. You can have that goal. And I think it's important to have those goals and feel like that's your identity. But then there's also other things that we, I think, are capable of doing if we give ourselves those chances. And so, I, you know, it sounds kind of funny. I don't know if you ever heard, read the book, um, Who Moved My Cheese? Yes, I have. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's a great book. It's really, I, I, it sounds so silly, but it's, it's just about, uh, you know, you got this, this one mouse who's, you know, does everything, you know, that, that the scientists told him to do. He found the cheese and he keeps going and everything. And then he can't find the cheese because the scientists moved it on him. And so the one mouse who is not unable to adapt ends up dying because he can't find the cheese. And the other mouse goes, well, it's not there. Let me find another place for it. And they go searching and they finally find it. Uh, and it's just the metaphor is, you know, if we're stuck in that same pattern our whole lives and things could change like this year or in this weird thing, you know, we're actors and we can't act, you know, if you're not able to adapt and find another way around it, you're just gonna, you know, just collapse. So. Uh, we, I've been doing a lot of Zoom performances. We've been doing a lot of uh, stage readings on Zoom. Uh, we've really been utilizing this new medium in a way that um, I, you know, eight months ago, nine months ago, I never would have imagined we'd be doing this, but here we are. Yeah. So. Well, and I love the contrast between what you're, you're describing, this fluidity of being able to pivot and adjust in contrast to even the very word brittle, which just has the way it sounds is it's just the polar opposite. So I, I think that was beautifully explained. I think one other thing we wanted to touch on that Christy and I both picked up in the script was um, the kind of absurd, like Beckett-esque uh, nature. In, and also I was definitely picking up in Taylor and in breath performance specifically. Uh, I mean, again, I'm biased, I'm a friend, but um, there's some really great almost Dr. Seuss sounding rhythms and there's like a little bit of musicality in in Taylor's lines but there's a little bit of, of Beckett-esque and 
is that a common influence for you? Can you can you talk to us about a little bit about that style in your writing? I'm I'm a big fan of absurdist theater. I love uh, Beckett, Ionesco, Pinter. Um, so I, I would say a lot of my writings, you will see elements of them. I I, I cannot deny that I've been influenced by those writers. Uh, in terms of uh, Dr. Seuss, there was um, something very youthful about that character that I wanted to come out. So I, I chose language specifically for that character to make them feel younger and more youthful. And I, I, yeah, I wouldn't say Dr. Seuss is a, a wrong uh, wrong avenue to look at for that character. Um, it's definitely, um, I wanted to feel like someone young and experiencing language for maybe the first time, you know, because however old the statue is or however old the actor is the statue is coming to life very recently you know so it's like this is a a young maybe two-day-old you know character so uh yeah so for me i wanted the language to feel very youthful and and you know playing with language in a way that you know we all did when we were like seven eight oh this is a new word let me go walk around and say this word over and over again you know kind of thing i, I love actors uh and so you know being an actor myself uh it's very important to me when I write, I actually put myself in every character that I write. I don't mean like my personality is in there. I just mean like I imagine myself acting each of the parts. So every time I write a character, I will say their lines out loud. And if it feels fun to say, I'm like, okay, I got a winner. If it, you know, if it feels clunky in my mouth or I don't like, I don't imagine an actor enjoying saying these words, I, you know, really, obviously, if it's important to the plot, I'll have to consider whether or not to reword it. But, um, <clears throat> I don't like to have anything in my plays that I wouldn't want to say personally. Do you do the same with physical activity? I once had a teacher in college say the same thing. And he said, actors love to get on trouble on stage. And I remember when he said it, I had a feeling of like, I don't. <laughs> I don't like to get in trouble on stage. Um, so I didn't know if you found that that also influences those decisions as well, not just the, the spoken word. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just sometimes will physicalize it. Or at the very least, I have a pretty active imagination. I will play it all out in my brain and how the physicality will look, you know, and it, um, and in performance, if it, you know, uh, usually it looks even wilder than I imagined when I wrote it, which is great. I love that. Um, sometimes I'll watch it play and I'm like, uh, could have been more physical or it could have been more this or that, you know, um, but it's one of those things where I just, I, I love to play around in my brain with these characters and what they're doing physically and, and emotionally and uh, verbally and everything else. I will say before we launch into that, you mentioned um, earlier, you also are a published author mm -hmm. and we are coming up on gift giving season. And I believe everyone should be supporting artists. So if you want to plug any of your books or titles, if they're available anywhere, um, Amazon, I know if you can support a local bookstore, that's even better. But if you want to plug that and people want to support you and give some gifts, I would love to give you the opportunity to do that. That's awesome. Uh, my website is www.dangeiton.com. And if you click on there, you click through, you read about all my plays, my writings. Um, there's a shop button on there that'll bring you to the different publishers and I'm published with. And you can like, if there's a copy of the book, you can click on it and you can read more about it. And you can purchase a copy if you want to, I'd appreciate it. Uh, I do have some Amazon links. You can find me on Amazon, but obviously, like you said, um, most of my publishers appreciate it to go directly to them. Amazon takes a big cut. Uh, and so if you yeah. go straight to the publisher, the pu it keeps the publishers, you know, going. So, 
Um, one of my big publishers right now is uh, Next Stage Press. They're, um, they're great. They've done quite a few of my plays. Um, I'm with Original Works, also with Applause, um, a bunch of different publishers, so a fewer. Uh, so anyway, yeah, come check me out, uh, dangeiton.com, and um, you know, click around and, and see all the fun stuff I have in there. All right, Dan, what is your favorite word? Favorite word? Right now, I'm going to say brittle. What is your least favorite word? Um, racism. What is your favorite app? Uh, I got to say, I'm addicted to Mario Kart. What is your favorite or your most used emoji? Most used emoji, um, I have the smiley face. It's the simplest. It's a good go-to. Uh, makes people feel good. Um, probably my most used. What is your favorite board game? Uh, we used to play Scrabble all the time in my family growing up, so it's a big, uh, big favorite of mine. Sweet or savory? Mm, uh, unfortunately, I'm a sweet person. I like the, the sweets. That's my uh, my big flaw is I eat too much sweets. Um, window or aisle seat? Uh, I like the, usually like the window, although if I'm with my wife, she likes the windows. Uh, dolphins or koalas? Dolphins. Koalas are great. I koalas love great, but dolphins. <laughs> the assurance. Great. I yeah. think you've been one of the most assured answers of that one so far, just hands down. Dolphin. Yeah, we, we yeah. Um, saw a dolphin in the wild not long ago, and it was just swimming out in the, the thing. We were like, oh, it, it made my month. It was great, you know. Um, koalas are cute, but dolphins. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? You know, growing up, it was always milk chocolate. As I've gotten older, my taste is more refined, so I would say dark chocolate. Summer or winter? Summer, big time. I grew up actually from New York, New York. I grew up in New York. Um, I moved down south to, in part, get away from the winters because I much prefer the summer weather. All right, name a dessert you don't like. Ooh, candy corn. We're coming up on Halloween. I cannot stand the candy corn. Ugh, gross. Yeah. What is one superpower you wish you had? Mm, superpower I wish I had. I'd love to turn back time. What are three things you can't live without? Uh, probably my computer. I mean, as a writer, that's just the, you know, I've got to say that's, that's there. I've got to have that. Um, my wife, my dogs, love my dogs. If you had a tattoo, what would it be and where would it be? Or if you have tattoos, tell us about them. I do not have tattoos. Um, if I had a tattoo, uh, I never, never really appealed to me the idea of a tattoo. So just something not spend much time thinking about it. If I had one, I'd probably say hope. You're stuck on an island and you can pick one food to eat forever without getting tired of it. What food are you picking? Oh boy. I, oh wow. That's a tough one. Um, I am a big fan of Italian food. I specifically love eggplant parmesan. What is a book or play that you think everyone should read? Okay. I think a book everyone should read is To Kill a Mockingbird. And there is a play about it. So that, that works with both answers, but uh, that one, I think, deals with so much um, that is wrong with our society that needs to be addressed. If uh, your life was a song, what would the title be? Staying Alive. If you could master one instrument, what would it be? You know, funny enough, I really wanted to play the drums when I was little. Uh, and I had a very uh, competitive high school, or actually very competitive elementary school, believe it or not. And so in fourth grade, they offered us to uh, take a test to see if we wanted to play an instrument. I wanted to do the drums, and I put down... I didn't pass the test, so I never got to play the instrument. I never got to learn how to play drums, but that's something deep down that I always thought, you know, would be kind of fun to, to learn to do. Um, 
And now you can tell I have a guitar here, which I've been trying to teach myself how to play, uh, but still drums, I think would be my favorite. If you could live anywhere else, where would you live? You know, you mentioned that deserted island. That, that sounds pretty good right about now, honestly, with the way the world is going. What is your favorite way to rest or decompress? Rest or decompress? Um, I, for me, writing is, it, believe it or not, is a form of, of rest for me, even though it's a career. It's also it's just something I, I have fun doing. Um, but if I'm not doing that, then um, I love movies. I watch a lot of movies. Um, if you could switch lives with someone for a day, who would it be? I'm going to get political. I'd like to switch lives with Donald Trump right now and make some changes. <laughs> I don't know how much I can get done in a day. You, what's inspiring you in life right now? What inspires me in life um, right now? I, you know, I see a lot of people with, um, you know, challenges and, and adversity. And uh, even, you know, we talked earlier about, um, you know, different voices that have been oppressed throughout our history. And I see them working towards change. And I see people working towards and betterment and, and empowerment. And uh, that, I just find that very inspiring. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? As a writer, when I was young, I, a lot of my writing, I wanted to be kind of shocking or controversial. I thought I'd get my name out there more if I could, you know, just kind of throw things in your face and, you know, have people go, oh my God, you know. Um, and, and I had a friend of mine actually sit me down and go, you're, you're good at that. You know, that's something you can do. But I'm pretty sure you're good at other things too. Have you ever tried, you know, writing things, you know, that are more appealing to a larger audience? Uh, and I imagine if you tried that, you may find you, you could still do the shocking stuff as well, like later in a different play. But have you ever considered trying that? And I was like, oh, you know, that's a good idea. That's a good challenge. And I did, and I tried it, and, and I ended up getting a lot of success from the one that, you know, was not so shocking. And here I thought that's the way to get your name out there. And then you know, turns out actually the more, um, you know, sentimental, more um, all audience friendly, I'm trying to do the right word. Relatable. But, uh, more relatable pieces, um, you know, they, they tended to get a lot more success. I was like, oh. What would you like to be remembered for? Um, I, you know, funny enough, I, somebody asked me, what do you want to do as, as a writer? Or what's your goal? And my answer was, I always wanted to be in a history book as a, as a writer, as a playwright. I wanted just, I don't know, don't know why that was in my head, I guess, because I did a lot of history classes, theater history classes, and, you know, you read about all these famous writers throughout history, and, you know, these writers who changed the world or whatever, and I thought, I want to be one of those people. I want to, you know. All right, last question. Describe yourself in a hashtag. Hashtag, you so funny. Thank you again so much for allowing us to use Brittle, and thank you to our amazing actors. Um, definitely check out your website. You said it's www.dangeiton.com, correct? Mm -hmm. um, and, and we just thank you so much. And I'm sure, you know, I can speak on behalf of ETC and say we'd love to keep producing more of your plays, whether it's virtually or someday again in person. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And yes, please consider doing more of my work. I'd love it. And, uh, and yes, in person when we can, I would love it. Oh, gosh. And we loved, uh, really did, had a great time in Chattanooga. And I would love to come back there. It would be great. So. Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga, a 501c3 nonprofit independent theater company located in southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Colagiovanni. 
sound by Eric Red Wyatt, graphics by Jamie Goodnight, and Casey Keelan as the associate producer. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the expressed written consent of the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ETC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ETC, please visit our website for details. Or you can become a monthly subscriber on Patreon and get access to exclusive content. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast. Lights Up is hosted by Anchor, a Spotify company. The easiest way to make a podcast.